Well, good morning. Oh, talk back. I like that. That's nice. Hey, uh, it's good to be back with you again. I hope that you enjoyed my abnormally large head uh, last week. So much rather be here in person. If you weren't here with us last week, you see some people in some orange shirt. That's not just our favorite color, but uh, we have been uh, identifying with our brothers and sisters around the world uh, and by identifying with them, we've been identifying with Jesus according to Matthew chapter 25 because you remember that he said, uh, hey, thank you guys for w- when you helped me when I was hungry and thirsty. I was a foreigner. I was in prison. I was sick and I needed clothes. You helped me. And the, the response back to Jesus was, we don't have any idea what you're talking about. And he said, well, when you helped the least of my brothers and sisters, you were actually helping helping me. And so Jesus takes very personally uh, how we treat the poor and those who are in need. And 71 million people around the world right now are in need uh, because they are refugees. They've been um, made to leave their home uh, by force of some kind, Uh, war, dictators, whatever it is. Uh, Many of those come from just four countries around the world, Uh, Myanmar, South Sudan, Uh, Now I can't remember them off the top of my head, uh, but there are four, and you'll actually see those in just a little bit through a video and then information that you pass on your way in here uh, right now. Um, But uh, we want to stand with those people because we stand with Jesus, and Jesus says, if you stand with me, then you're you're standing uh, with these people. And so this week we've been trying to to identify with them through this challenge. And so Monday uh, you got a text message that said, "Skip lunch and eat only rice and beans uh, for dinner tonight." I never wanted. not rice and beans, uh, more uh, than just, it was like I couldn't have it, I wasn't allowed to have it, so I wanted it even more, and it was a great reminder for me uh, that, that I am very privileged, and not because I'm, I deserve that, but because it just happened by the grace of God to be born in this place at this time. Uh, and then the next day was, uh, um, you know, one of the next days was wear the same clothes that you had worn before. Here's what I learned in that lesson. Nobody is paying attention to what you are wearing uh, today. So you can wear the same outfit on Sunday after Sunday after some Sunday and we will never notice. One night was sleep on the floor. One day was reach out to somebody who's in need. And, uh, you know, we're celebrating that today and, and we get to kind of move on. But 71 million people around the world not going to get to move on. And so if we can stand with them long-term by just uh, partnering with World Vision a little bit, I think that's going to be a powerful thing. Pastor Billy's going to tell us more about how to do that. But if you participated in that with us, thank you so much. Uh, I hope it bore as much fruit in your life as it did in mine. Open up your Bible to John chapter 5. We've been making our way through the Gospel of John, John chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 16 in just a minute. I took my kids along with my wife to see the new Lion King movie yesterday. It's not new. It's actually old. Just same thing. Uh, Spoiler alert. The movie's 25 years old, so I I don't feel bad for spoiling this. But the bad guy's name is, is Scar, which you don't have to have seen the Lion King. If I tell you that somebody in the, the, the movie is named Scar... I bet you're like, well, I bet bet that's a bad guy, right? Uh, It's it's not rocket science. If you read the Gospels, it's super clear who the bad guys are. Now, the Bible doesn't call them bad guys, but they are the opponents of Jesus. They're these religious leaders. Now, what's interesting about these, quote unquote, bad guys is if those bad guys came to our church today, they would be like the best of guys because they were super godly. 
All that stuff that you and I struggle with, like I know I should be doing this, I know I should be doing more of this, these guys, they actually did that stuff. All that stuff that separates us to super Christians from us regular Christians and us not very good Christians, these guys are always at the top. If, if they uh, came today and just suddenly joined Bayou City Fellowship, I promise there would be a coup. Curtis, you are no longer the pastor of this place. These people are the pastors because they are the super, super religious people. And yet when you read the Gospels, they somehow are always on the wrong side of the equation. They're always on the wrong side of Jesus, and yet their heart was to honor God. And so I just want us to imagine what it would have been like to be one of those religious leaders this this morning. I want us to put ourselves in their place, because like I said, they probably weren't bad people. You know, every morning they woke up, and, and their only goal was to honor God. In fact, they would say this thing called the Shema. Uh, it was, uh, you, you and I know it because Jesus taught it to us, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Right? That was theirs. We think it belongs to Jesus. It, it didn't actually belong to him alone. It belonged to the entire people of Israel. But these, these superhero religious people, these religious leaders, they said it every day. So when they woke up, before they even let their feet hit the ground, they were saying this out loud. And anytime they would remember it, they would say it during the day, and then before they went to bed, they would say this again. These are incredibly godly people, and their one desire is just to honor God. So I want us to imagine that we are them. But look at the situation they're in, in John chapter 5, verse 16. This was from a couple of weeks ago. I just want to make sure it's in our thinking. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, Jesus met this man who was around a pool there in Jerusalem. He was at the pool because they believed that if you were the first one to get in after this angel had stirred up the waters, then God would heal you. But he was an invalid, so he was unable to get in there. Somebody had helped him get near the pool, but nobody would help him actually get into the pool. Jesus comes along, he heals the man, and then he says, pick up your mat, because that was kind of his uh, sleeping bag made of straw. That's where he spent most of his time. Pick up your mat and go away. Well, the religious leaders saw that this man was carrying his mat, and it happened to be on the Sabbath day. And they had a bunch of rules, as religious leaders often do, a bunch of rules of what you could do and what you could not do. And one of the things that you could not do on the Sabbath was carry a load. Now, they would have been very happy that this man was healed. These are not monsters, these religious people. Uh, they would have been happy that he was healed, but they were frustrated that Jesus had healed him and then asked him to break the Sabbath, to carry the load. If he had just said, hey, be free, be gone, leave your mat there, these religious leaders probably wouldn't have been bothered. But he was carrying his mat. The religious leaders are upset. They, they talk to him about it. And he essentially says, listen, I was an invalid. I was in desperate need. This guy healed me. I'm going to do whatever he says. So if you have a beef, then I need you to take it up with him. And so they do. They begin to persecute Jesus. In fact, it says that they began to try to kill him because he was doing three things. One, he was dishonoring the Sabbath and therefore in their mind dishonoring God. Uh, he was calling God his own father. Now they believed that God was kind of father to all, very vague, very, very general. But Jesus is taking it very, very personal. And then he was making himself equal to God. And so their frustration with Jesus is that Hey, as we're trying to honor God in everything we do, 
you're coming along. You're very popular. You have these, these miracles, these, this, this powerful teaching, but you are leading people astray. You are leading people to dishonor God, Jesus. And so they're, they're trying to kill him because they feel justified in doing that because they don't believe that he's honoring God. So the next set of verses, Jesus begins to defend himself. And you know, when you're reading through the gospels, uh, there are stories and, and, and they, you just read them like stories and they're easy to read, they're easy to remember. But then you get to long sections of red and you get to the end of that section and you're like, I'm not sure what I just read. I know it was super important, uh, but uh, I can't remember any of it. Well, we're getting ready to enter one of those sections. So I thought the best way to do this is we'll just take it a verse at a time. And uh, hopefully we'll remember what we need to remember when we're done. Verse 19. So they're trying to kill him because of those three things. Breaking the Sabbath, calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Verse 19. And Jesus gave them this answer. So he's defending himself. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. So Jesus, again, remember he's defending himself. He's saying, listen, if you guys have a problem that I healed this man on the Sabbath and had him carry his mat, really your problem is not with me. It's with the father that you're trying to honor because I only do what I see him doing. So the truth is the person that you're frustrated with is not me. It's God. The son watches the father and then imitates the father. Verse 20, for the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. This is sort of a veiled threat. Remember, you're a religious leader. You're trying to confront Jesus because you're trying to honor God. You want all of Israel to honor God. Jesus is leading people away from God in your mind. And he says, no, your problem is with God. And listen, God loves me so much that he's going to help me do even greater stuff than this. You think healing this invalid was a big deal? You have not seen anything yet. Verse 21, for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So he reminds them, hey, our God raises the dead. And, and it's true. We read some of these stories in the Old Testament, like in 1 Kings, Elijah raises the son of a widow who uh, the, the son has passed away. And just out of love for the widow, God uses Elijah to raise this young man from the dead. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Elijah's protege, Elisha, try saying that sentence, Elijah's protege, Elisha, does the same thing for a Shunammite couple. Uh, this uh, couple couldn't get pregnant. Elisha prays for them. They're able to have a child. And then a few years later, that child dies. And so this mother does what you and I have done in that situation. She goes back to Elisha and she says, why would God have done this to me? I, I wasn't even asking for a child. And God gave me this blessing and now all of a sudden, he's stolen it from me. And so Elisha goes back to their house and, and the son is raised from the dead. But everyone was clear in those two instances. Elijah and Elisha were not raising the dead. God was raising the dead through them. It was God's power at work. They were just the vessel. But here Jesus is, is claiming something a little bit different. Look at it again. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he's pleased. He's saying, yes, God does this. God did this through Elijah. God did this through Elisha. So God does this. And even as God does it, I have life and, and I'm going to do it too. See, you see how, again, we're the religious leaders and we're hearing that and our ears are starting to tingle and our blood is starting to boil a little bit because he's not saying, yeah, God is going to use me to do this. Jesus is saying, well, God does this and I 
do this. Again, they were right. He's making himself equal to God. Verse 22, moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. Genesis chapter 18 says God is judged over everybody, they would have known that. Again, you're a religious leader. You, you weren't elected there just because you were super popular. You, you earned that position. You went to the right school. You went to the Yale of first century Israel. I mean, you were trained. You had the degree. You came from the right pedigree. All that put together, you would have known the scripture. It wasn't just that you were good at behaving. You would have known. So when Jesus says that, that God has delegated judgment to him, again, you recognize what he's saying. The God of all the earth who is going to judge now says, I'm not going to judge. I'm going to delegate to Jesus. Verse 23, so that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor his son does not honor the father who sent him. So let's recap. Uh, Jesus has said, you're not frustrated with me. You're frustrated with God because I'm his son and I do whatever I see him doing. So if you're frustrated that somebody broke the Sabbath, don't be frustrated with me. It was God who broke your rules. He says, oh, and by the way, if this is kind of getting at you, just wait till I pull out some of the greater works that God is going to do. And he says, God is going to delegate his right to judge to me. And the way God raises people from the dead, I also I'm going to raise people from the dead. So these are pretty big claims that Jesus is, is making. And now he just takes it over the top. So if you're a religious leader, as we're all pretending to be this morning, this is where you finally had enough. Because your goal every morning is to wake up and honor God. During the, the day, you want to honor God. And when you go to sleep, you want to honor God. And now Jesus has just laid down the gauntlet. And he says, if you want to honor God, it's good. You got to honor me. And if you don't honor me, you can't honor God. So if any of us this morning are still uh, thinking that it's possible to, to believe that Jesus is just, just a really great teacher, uh, saying helpful things, uh, but that he, he wasn't really more than that, he wasn't claiming to be more than that, John chapter 5 should just, you need to find a new theory because Jesus very clearly here is saying, no, I am equal with God. I am unique. I am not just uh, Israel's next top teacher. I am someone special. Verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Now, here's the good news for the religious leaders. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, you're on the wrong side. You're out. This is the invitation to, to all of us and to them that day. If you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. You'll be crossing over. I, I will ferry you across from the column of death to the column of life. So you don't have to worry about judgment and condemnation if you believe in me. Have you ever had one of those friends who says uh, he's just kind of the, or she's just kind of the, hey, don't worry about it. It all work out kind of person. Uh, my college roommate was like that. And he and I were on a trip not too long ago. And we, he had a ticket to this uh, special museum exhibit and I didn't have a ticket. And he was like, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to work out. And I'm like, well, actually I'm kind of worried about it. And, uh, and you know, I'd, I'd like to, I, I, you know, and he's like, no, don't worry about it. It's going to work out. Trust me. Well, I worried about it. I worried about it the whole plane ride there. This appointment was on Wednesday. 
Uh, I worried about it Monday. I worried about it Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, on our way uh, to the exhibit, I was thinking about, okay, what's my speech going to be? What's gonna, my speech going to be when the authorities look at me and like, what are you doing? And I'll be like, I don't know. I happened to be assigned to be his roommate when we went to college, and here I am. You know, I don't know what to tell you. I was rehearsing my speech to him when they were going to let him in, and I wasn't going to get in. Uh, hey, it's fine. Go for it. You're a moron. I, don't, I can't believe that you let me be here, but hey, go and have a good time. It'll be fine. And, uh, you know, sure enough, he was right. I shouldn't have worried about it because I somehow got, on. It got in. It's a vague, you know, gray moral area about how I ended up there, so we're not, we're not going to talk about it. So if you're a religious leader and that bothers you, you need to find a different church. You can say, I told you so when we stand before the Lord. Uh, But the whole time I was like, am I getting in? Am I not getting in? Am I getting in? Am I not getting in? And, And Jesus says, hey, I can give you confidence about eternal life. I mean, forget some exhibit. I mean, but think about how many people you know that if you ask them, when eternal life starts, do you have confidence? You're like, oh, have I done enough? Have I been enough? Have I believed enough? And Jesus' invitation to these religious leaders is, you don't have to worry about judgment and condemnation. I, I will ferry you across from life to death. The way the apostle Paul said it in Colossians chapter one is that in Christ we are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. So Jesus isn't just condemning these religious leaders because they're on the wrong side all the time. He says, come and be on the right side. Come, believe in me and I will give you eternal life. Verse 25, very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. Let's read that again. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, Jesus isn't just, uh, oh, by the way, off the top of my head. This is a direct reference to Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, You remember that as we all remember Ezekiel chapter 37. Not as good as, you know, Ezekiel chapter 38. But of course, in 37, as we're all thinking right now, no, no, none of us know what that is, so I'm going to tell you. the prophet Ezekiel gets this vision of a valley, right? If you've been to the hill country uh, lately, you, you know a valley. You kind of come up and you see uh, across the valley from one hill to the other hill. And, and so Ezekiel sees, sees this valley and there's nothing but bones in there, skeletons, right? Just a bunch of femurs. I don't know any other bones. So femurs and whatever else comes. There's no skin, there's no ligaments, there's, there's nothing else. Femurs and skulls and whatever uh, other things are in our body. And God speaks to the bones and the bones begin to rattle and then they start to come together. So femurs plus the thing that femurs are connected to and all the things. And then after that, then ligaments start to grow, tendons start to grow, and then skin starts uh, happening uh, and, and now all these people are alive. So Jesus knows this. And you're a religious leader and you know Ezekiel chapter 37 too. And so he says, there's coming a time and now is... When I will speak the word and the dead will hear it and and they'll come back to life. Now Jesus actually does this in just a few chapters when he stands outside the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. Now compared to Elijah and Elisha, which we referenced earlier, if you go back and read those stories, when they went to raise the dead, 
they sprawled out. Essentially, they just laid down on top of uh, those dead bodies, which you would do too if somebody was counting on you to raise the dead. You would touch their head. You would touch their arms. You would grab them. You'd almost want to shake them as you prayed for them. But Jesus says here that he's just going to speak the word and the dead will hear it. And we'll come back to life. And that's exactly what happens at Lazarus' grave. They roll away the stone. Jesus doesn't go in. He doesn't lay hands on Lazarus. He just says, Lazarus, come out. And here comes Lazarus toddling uh, along, all wrapped up in his grave clothes. Then he says in the next verse, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. It's a miracle. Again, you're smart. Do we know what's happening? No, you got it? No? Somebody was bumping up into the light switch? Happens. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates everything. And how does he do it? Does he go into his workshop, get some material? No, he, he speaks the word. He, he just essentially wills creation into existence. And the peak of his creation is he, he does take some dust and then he breathes life into it. He gives life to humanity, Adam and then Eve, by just sharing his life. And Jesus is referencing this. Just as God has life in himself, it says, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Again, this is making our blood boil as religious leaders who are trying to honor God. Now this all makes sense to us uh, now in 2019 because we live on this side of Jesus' resurrection. So we're just amening all of these verses. Yeah, he has life. He raised the dead. Amen, amen. Let's just kind of get on with it. Jesus is great, you know, beginning and end. But at this point in history, he's Jesus of Nazareth. He's not Jesus of an empty tomb. He's Jesus of Nazareth. Now, he's done great miracles. These religious leaders, they can't deny that. Uh, He has authority when he teaches, unlike the authority that they had. They can't deny that either. But he's still Jesus from Nazareth. You could go to his mom and dad's house. You could meet his brothers and his sisters. But here he's claiming just as God had life in himself to create everything, so I have that same life. Later on in chapter 10 of this gospel, he will go on to say, no one can take my life from me, but I will lay it down. And if I lay it down, I can pick it back up again. What Jesus is saying is no one can steal life from me because it is mine. It is inherent to me. Somebody or something will steal your life. Cancer, heart disease, old age, an accident, Something is going to take your life and there's nothing that you can do about it. But there was something Jesus could do about his. In the Garden of Gethsemane, if he had not wanted to be arrested, all he had to do was say no. End of story. When he was being tried in a kangaroo court in the middle of the night by some of these religious leaders, he could have said no. This is over. When Pilate was, uh, I don't know, They want me to crucify him. I don't think he's guilty of anything. If Jesus had said no, the answer was no. 
No one can take my life from me. Why? Because his life is his. But he laid it down. And then because he laid it down three days later, he just picked it right back up again. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. I think I mentioned this last week, but the son of man does not mean son of a human. Uh, We get confused about that because there's son of God and then there's son of man. So if one means I'm a son of God, then son of man must mean I'm a son of a human, Joseph and, and Mary. But son of man is a, is a title. And again, we're religious leaders. We're aware of the scripture in first century Israel. We know he's referring to Daniel chapter seven when Daniel has this crazy vision about beasts. There's four beasts and they got these horns. It's super complicated. You should read it for, for lunch before you take a nap. And, uh, and then in the middle of all these visions, there's one like the son of man who comes and he he rules, he co-rules with the ancient of days. He, he rules with God in this vision. So Jesus, this is his most common type, way to refer to himself. Others refer to him as the son of God. Others refer to him as Christ. But he most often refers to himself as the son of man, which wasn't, again, I'm a son of a human. I'm a regular guy. I'm one of the bros. No, he's saying, I'm Daniel chapter seven, come to life. The person that Daniel saw in that vision ruling with God, that's me. So again, we know all of this because we're religious leaders. It's just getting under our skin every time he refers to himself like this. He says, because I'm that son of man, God is giving me the right to judge everybody. And then look what he says in the next verse, verse 28. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. If you don't mind, just grab and just kind of pinch your skin for me here. Just humor me. I can see whether or not you're doing it. Just go ahead and do it. It's not going to hurt you. It's not a trick. God has a plan for that skin. In, In fact, God has an eternal plan for what you're holding on to right now. He cares a lot about what you have between your fingers. He cares a lot about your pancreas. You probably don't care that much about it. He does. Your appendix, your spine, your liver, your mind. God has an eternal plan for our bodies. Now, that's not how most of us think. We think God primarily cares about our spirit. And he cares very little about that dust that he breathed into. But that is actually Greek thinking. It's not biblical thinking. In fact, the, the human body was super important to Jesus' earliest followers and God's historic people, Israel. In fact, if you read the New Testament uh, later this afternoon, after you read Ezekiel and Daniel chapter 7, um, you'll see that the Bible talks a, a lot more about your body than, than, you're, than you're imagining. That God really does have a plan. And that plan is one day after you and I have our life stolen from us, he's going to resurrect our bodies just as Jesus was resurrected. That's why Jesus is called the firstborn from the dead. Because he is the pattern that all of us are following. Now the scripture is also clear that when we die, uh, we are immediately with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, the apostle Paul says, I want to depart and be with Christ. So it's not I want to depart and I want to sort of hang out. That's why Jesus was able to say to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. There's no kind of in-between stage. 
you know how at a, a wedding there's the ceremony and then we have to wait all that time for the bride and groom to finally show up so we can eat? If you're getting married, like everybody hates that in between time. You, you're going to spend the rest of your lives together. Don't milk that, you know, hour while we're standing around having cocktails or whatever, you know. Uh, we all know you're just trying to buy time, right? Uh, there, there's no in between. There's no cocktail hour between death and when we're with the Lord, right? We're immediately with him, but it, the scripture doesn't tell us a lot about that moment. It, it just says we're going to be with the Lord. But what it tells us a lot about is when Jesus returns, our physical bodies, whether they've been buried or cremated or whatever, are going to be resurrected. They're going to be made new. God has an eternal plan for that pinch of skin between your fingers. And then when he resurrects us, then we're going to be judged. But again, we don't have to worry about that if we're on the side of Christ. He says, I'll take care of that. I'll give you eternal life. I will ferry you across from death to life. So we don't have to be worried, am I going to get in? Have I done enough good stuff? All of those questions are not for us. We follow Christ. We believe in Christ. He gives us eternal life. And so we will be ushered into eternal life. And then we'll be rewarded for our faithfulness on earth. But if we reject Jesus, then he says there's condemnation. Verse 30, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. So just a summary. If you guys are frustrated that I healed this man and I asked him to carry his mat, I only do the will of God. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. You know, it's interesting if you read the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they give a synopsis of Jesus' life. They start in the beginning and they go all the way to the end. In the beginning, when Jesus kind of starts showing up and crowds start coming around him, these religious leaders, they invite Jesus over for dinner. They come and ask him questions because what they want to know is, hey, as you rise in popularity, clearly you're gifted, you have this unique thing going. Are you on our side? Are you going to come and be on our team? And the scripture just flips that. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not about whether I come and join your side. It's are you going to be on my side? Are you going to come to me? Are you going to believe in me? So whether you are real religious today or you, you came today because you feel like you should be more religious than you have been, the invitations are the same. The God of gods, the one true God, is the God of Israel, and he is now working through his son, Jesus Christ. Will we be on his side or some other side? One leads to eternal life, and one leads to condemnation. And if we are on his side, then we'll listen to him, and we'll do what he says. Let's pray.